Hi! Welcome to the CQW Sports Show Podcast. I'm back from vacation. And on this show, we're going to do all Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. The inductees for 2019 have been announced. You'll hear most of them. Because John Montgomery and Michelle Stilwell live on the West Coast. But you'll hear most of them on the podcast. Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame announced the class of 2019 today, revealing the seven individuals and one team dynasty who will be inducted on November 2nd. The induction ceremonies will be held at the Victoria Inn to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Hall of Fame. Two of the inductees were not able to make the announcement today. John Montgomery, you know that name well, beer-chugging Olympic gold medalist turned reality TV host, as well as Michelle Stilwell, the only female Paralympic athlete to win gold medals in two separate summer sport events. They both live in BC now, but they'll be there in the fall. As for who was in attendance today, let's start with Charles Bach, 81 years old, born in Trinidad and Tobago, a former cricketer, who played for Canada's national team. So, Charles, uh, what does this honor mean to you? Listen, at my age, 81 years old, to get this recognition is really wonderful. Really wonderful. How has cricket grown in this community since you first started playing here? Well, when I came up to, to, to Winnipeg in 19... Um, uh, uh, when was that? Um, 1959. I wasn't sure whether cricket was played here, but I was really surprised. The day after I came, I went to Assiniboine Park and there was cricket going on. And cricket being the love of my life at, at that stage, I was so happy to get involved in cricket here in, in Winnipeg at Assiniboine Park for all these decades. You know, it, it was great. Are there way more people playing now than there were then? Oh yeah, we're just telling somebody else. Uh, well, cricket in Canada started way back in 1860s. Lots of people don't know that. But cricket is not recognized in Canada since then because it is not a, not a big sport well known in Canada. But now, across the provinces in Canada from east to west, cricket is being played at a very, very high professional level right now. And in most of the schools in Winnipeg and outside of Winnipeg, students, Canadian students, are now playing cricket in places like Brandon and Thompson and all those places. So it's starting to spread all across Canada. And part of that is a lot of people immigrating to Canada from countries where cricket is a, more popular than it is right. here. Right. Well, cricket, cricket is being played like all the islands in the Caribbean. You got overseas in, in Europe, England, Scotland, Ireland, Australia, you got Australia, South Africa, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and all kinds of places are playing cricket at a professional level. And players are earning a pile of money. But did you get in on the money? No. <laughs> As an amateur, we don't. <laughs> but being in the World Cup and qualifying for the World Cup we did get some uh, money. Does Canada always make it to the World Cup? No, our team in 1979 was historic. Since then, I don't think any other team has played in the World Cup. So I was really, really happy to be part of that history. Will we make it again? 
Well, well, now with lots of immigrants coming in and lots of good, talented young people coming, I'm sure they, they will be. Okay. I'm sure they will be. Let's hope so. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I also had the chance to talk to Suzanne Dandeneau, set high standards for weightlifters in Canada, joined the national team in 98, competed in five world championships and alternated at the 04 Olympics. And during this time, she also became the first drug-free woman in Canada and third in North America to successfully clean and jerk 300 pounds. That's a lot. How does this feel today to receive this honor? Obviously very exciting and uh, very honored to be part of such a great group and to join a great uh, set of athletes that are already inducted. So it's uh, super excited. How often do you look back on your career and think of the things you've done? Well, I... Every time I have an ache or pain, it certainly comes to mind. But you know what? I um, we have young kids, so um, not that they need to be international athletes, but a lot comes from being an athlete that I am trying to instill in them. So it's it's probably top of mind fairly often. And anytime there's an Olympic Games or any kind of multi-sport games or a national championships, whatever it happens to be, um, you got to remember the good old days. I don't miss it enormously, but it's um, fond memories. How did those experiences maybe set up who you are today? You know what, I do think it has a huge impact. I think being an athlete, you learn a lot about commitment and perseverance and dedication and hard work. Like it, it really is, uh, and especially in the sport of weightlifting where you lift heavy stuff all the time. It's really not that exciting. In many other sports, weightlifting is that thing that you don't want to do in the gym uh, when you're done your real practice. So that's what I did all the time. And uh, But you know what, you loved it. I just, you know what, you don't, you don't, get to be at an international level by fooling around and going to events and doing well but maybe just missing the podium or missing the top 10 or whatever it happens to be was always motivation to work harder so it's and the people that you met along the way still stay in touch yes many well with the advent of social media it certainly makes it easier but you know what my training partner here in winnipeg is is it also inducted teresa brick uh, previously, and you know, we still talk. We may not hang out as uh, many hours of the week as we used to. Not in the gym is off. No, not nearly as much. Should be more. But yeah, we do still keep in touch. And my husband is an international official in weightlifting, so he's much more involved in the community than I am now. And at times, I have to tell him to be quiet because I'm just done talking about weightlifting for a while. But uh, yeah, we're still in touch with many people. Congratulations again. Enjoy the honor. Thanks very much. Brandon Bobcat's men's basketball team from the late 80s getting inducted as a team dynasty. The team from 87 to 89, one of just three teams to win three consecutive national titles. And I spoke to two members of that team. Doug Carmichael. Frank Wojarski. And what does this honor mean to not just you, but your team? Well, it's a great representation of uh, the hard work that the team put in uh, over those three and five years together. That was one good thing that we were a real cohesive group together and you know, it's an honor to be recognized in, in the Manitoba Sport Hall of Fame with all the great teams and athletes that they have here. How often do you think about those years in the late 80s? Every time March Madness throws around, uh, it's, uh, it's a unique experience. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Every time March Madness rolls around, it just brings back memories. How about you? Well, exactly. It's a great time of, uh, of uh, university experience, you know, being able to play sports and get your degree and just the camaraderie and the friendships you make uh, that last over the 20, 30 years that's gone by, uh, it's priceless. Now, where are you guys both from? I'm from uh, Red Lake, Ontario. And Portage of Prairie, Manitoba. Okay, so you're, you didn't have to go far to go to school here? Not too far, no, just down the highway. What made you choose Brandon? Uh, I had a, 
a lot of opportunities to go to U of M, U of W. Uh, Brandon at that time was starting uh, to have a good basketball uh, uh, start, I guess, and the success that Jerry Hemmings brought to Brandon uh, kind of sold me on uh, choosing to go to Brandon. Do you still follow how the program does? Oh, absolutely. You know, when you're a member of a team, uh, again, over those 20, 30 years, you're always cheering on for the current teams and, you know, wishing them success. So, yeah, you're always uh, always a team member, no, for sure. Still lace them up? No, no, not a chance. Uh, the game's uh, gone beyond me now. <laughs> and uh, let's start with the builders now. Don Hornby has been a long time involved with the rowing community here in Winnipeg. First of all, Don, congratulations. Uh, what does this honor mean to you? It means a lot in terms of a recognition of uh, 45 to 50 years of service to rowing. So I'm glad somebody noticed. <laughs> but it's not that you're doing it for the recognition. No, no. And I believe you got to give back to sport. I enjoyed sport uh, rowing as a rower. And I got into rowing, or pardon me, umpiring, because I saw some bad umpiring, and I thought, you got to get inside the tent to make any changes in the umpiring. So I did that, and uh, I ended up at the international level, so I was proud to do that. What drew you to rowing initially? A friend named Ken Skinner. I, I came to the sport fairly late, at about 29 years of age. But he's a friend who was going through university and uh, encouraged me to come out and try the sport a couple of times. So after a summer of rowing on the river, I was hooked. How is life on the water in Winnipeg? Uh, it's incredible. You have to experience it at like 5.30 in the morning because the city's still sort of sleeping. You're down on the water and the city is just above you and there's no other power boats on the river. It's just a wholly different experience seeing the city from, from the waterline. Well, and you probably see the sunrise, too. Oh, we do that. <laughs> sunrise, work out, shower, get to work. So that was the morning. Like you're, li you're living in a different world, kind of, at the same time when everyone else is still sleeping. That's true. And uh, some, then good for the people along the river don't complain about the coxswain screaming at two-seat to get in time. So that's about the only break in the silence that they would have. Finally, how much has your sport changed since the time you got into it to where it is now? Uh, I think it's grown like all sports where we're faster and stronger and women were brought into the Olympic program in 76 so that they've been there a long time. I just think it's a, a sport that technology has not made great leaps. I think it's just the training of the athletes, the coaching that's made the biggest difference, and sport or rowing is doing very, very well. Well, congratulations again. Enjoy this. Thanks very much. Let's hear now from Hector Vergara, who's been on the show before, executive director of the Manitoba Soccer Association, and whose wife Joanne was inducted in 2006, having won a number of Paralympic swimming medals. Congratulations, Hector. Uh, what does this mean to you? Uh, it's special uh, because you never never really strive to be in the Hall of Fame of any sport. I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, you participate in sport because you enjoy it, you want to have fun, uh, you want to be competitive, you want to excel. Um, but at the end, um, to me, this is just a, uh, it's, it's particularly special because it's a recognition from the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. It's not even your own sport. In other words, um, the whole entire soccer community and, and, and sports community essentially is saying uh, you deserve to be here. Uh, so that, in a sense, is, uh, is humbling um, to be able to uh, enter the hall. 
and uh, and after all the sacrifices that you've done, even though you never do them for this reason, uh, you now re realize and you look back at your career and you go, you know, that was a lot of that's a lot of work and a lot of effort to uh, to make it to the top and stay at the top, which is not easy. And this is one last thing that your wife can hold over you. Well, yeah, she's uh, she was the first one into the Hall of Fame, so. Uh, yeah, she's she's in more than just with this one. So uh, so she's got a couple on me. So it's okay. It's uh, it's all fun and good times. And uh, she she deserves to be uh, in all those Hall of Fames. Uh, so she's a an athlete uh, that excel in her sport and uh, and uh, deserves to be there. So for me, it's just an honor to be now in the same Hall of Fame that she's in, and uh, and to uh, represent uh, the sport of soccer and the sport in general. Because at the end of the day. Uh, it's special to be uh, amongst all these athletes and builders at teams that have been recognized in, the, in this uh, soccer in this community. When you're looking around at the entire kind of Manitoba sports picture, how do you think soccer's place in that has changed since you got here? Well, you know, I, it's funny that we were just talking about that in the sense that when I when I when I started, we didn't have the indoor facilities we have today. For example, um, the training that we did was on the road, out on the streets of the of the city of Winnipeg, uh, in the basements of uh, 200 Main Street. You know. Uh, in gymnasiums and stuff like that. We, we never did have the facilities that we have now. And now we have uh, beautiful indoor facilities, outdoor facilities uh, for the sport of soccer. The, the sport is uh, is very, continues to be very popular. Uh, it, it's made the popularity of the sport has always been there, but now the exposure of the sport is, is magnified. Uh, so for our athletes, our coaches, our referees, our administrators in the sport of soccer, uh, we, have a, we have a bright future ahead of us. Uh, obviously, we want soccer to become uh, uh, a high-level sport in this country uh, and do everything possible to, to get it to that level. And although our, our teams, at the youth levels have done uh, fairly well and our women's team has done fairly well in Canada, uh, we need our men's team to, to get to the, to the World Cup. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's what we all, we all hope for. And um, hopefully, an opportunity for someone in, in Manitoba to uh, to one day represent us by wearing that jersey in a, in a, in a stadium in a, in a World Cup. And we saw that with Desiree Scott, the women's team recently. They uh, did not go as far as maybe we hoped they would. Just some thoughts on the women's World Cup, where Canada finished in the U.S. Obviously, they're one of the great all-time teams. Well, one of the things we have to all recognize is that uh, United States, Canada, and nations like ours, uh, for many years, were. Uh, um, heads and shoulders above everybody else in the women's game across the world. And, uh, and so we, they, they were, you know, you, we saw them as the number ones, number twos, number tens Is in the world. Is that just a privilege of access? Uh, a little bit, maybe, and because maybe in, in our countries, uh, uh, sport, uh, is, is, is equally important to both genders and, uh, and therefore we have males and females who participate in, in Canada, 50% of the population in soccer is, is female uh, and 50% is male. So at the end of the day, uh, we give that much importance to both genders. In, in other countries around the world, that was not the case. In a country that uh, South America, for example, a country that I come from, Chile, uh, soccer is a male-dominated sport. Uh, at the end of the day, females don't have a lot to do with the sport. Now that's changing. So when it's begun to change and when my, and, and organizations begin to put money into the sport uh, across the world, all of a sudden now the African, the European, the South American teams become stronger and, and the gap begins to narrow. So it's not, it's not surprising that we would have more difficulty now in, in, in achieving the goals of becoming a, a gold medalist, bronze medalist because of the fact that the gap is closing. So other teams are getting stronger and they're putting a heck of a lot of money into the sport in, in their country. So at the end, uh, it's not surprising um, that, uh, that it's more difficult.
to, to not progress to the final round. So, but America's sure. still really good. Yeah, America's still really good. I mean, they put a ton of money into it. And there's a ton of people playing the sport in that country, and uh, the population is huge. Um, so there is greater opportunities, but that doesn't mean that uh, someone from Europe or um, or Africa or South America is not eventually gonna kind of kind of win win those competitions. Congratulations again. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Final interview. Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame inductees Maureen Orchard began volunteering in wheelchair sports back in 1985. Key player in the establishment of what is now Wheelchair Basketball Canada. So how does this feel today to receive this honor? I was really surprised when I got the uh, the letter and very, very honored and pleased with it. Um, it's, it's funny because I'm involved internationally mostly now, you kind of lose touch back home in the home city and the home country. And so uh, when I got the letter, I thought, oh, they still remember me. So it was lovely. Yeah, really nice. And, and a lovely group to be going in with. I mean, I'm not supposed to tout basketball, I'm sure, or wheelchair basketball, but we have a basketball team going in. We have Michelle Stillwell going in. I think it's great for our sport as well, you know. How much has wheelchair basketball grown since you started getting involved? Uh, an amazing amount. When I first got started, um, in the world, we only had about uh, maybe 30 countries involved. We now have 105 countries playing the game, and it's growing, it's particularly in Asia. Um, the sport, well, 2016 in the Paralympic Games, wheelchair basketball sold the most tickets of any sport, including athletics and swimming, and was the most viewed of any sport. So, you know, and we, we keep saying there's 16 countries there, so there had to be an awful lot of other countries watching the sport. It's a, an amazingly exciting game, and it has nowhere to go but up, in my opinion. And I, I retired in 2014 as its president, and in 2018 as the secretary general. Turned it over to a new young group, which is what you're supposed to do when you get older. And I'm just watching them take it to the next step. Like, I'm excited about Tokyo. They'll, they'll, they've already been told that uh, they expect them to be one of the sports that people are coming out to. What does it say that countries are making this investment in Paralympic para-athlete sports now? Well, I'm glad to see it. Um, it it's really important that uh, a parity is, is worked towards. Of course, there's not as many sports, there's not as many athletes, but part of that is because there's not as much attention and not as much money. That's changing. Uh, wheelchair basketball in particular has been very successful here in Canada. Uh, both in getting sponsors and, and athletes, and, and as I say, it's an attractive sport. But I mean, I'm just having a, an interesting experience. My granddaughter is in para-ID athletics track, right? And it's been a bit of a struggle to get that going. And now, over the last year, we've been working with Athletics Manitoba and Athletics Canada to have them understand that it is their responsibility, and so they're getting behind it and that. But I think to myself, I live in this country this country there shouldn't be any barriers you know there shouldn't be and yet and I know because I'm involved with a, a body called the uh, um, uh, Association of Paralympic Sport Organizations I'm on their board uh, in Switzerland and um, our job is to try to assist Paralympic sports both in their in their battle to grow and in their battle sometimes with IPC and ID sport is a difficult one because of what happened in 2020 when, uh, sorry, 2000 in, in um, Sydney when they got caught cheating and got thrown out of the games and now ID is trying to find its way back in. So uh, as I pointed out to my, my daughter and my granddaughter, they went from having I think a thousand athletes 
to maybe a couple hundred now, if that, back in the games, and they only got back in in 2012 in London. So it's a. And for those who don't know, explain ID. Uh, interna uh, intellectual disability, sorry, yeah, intellectual disability. Uh, and so the organization here in Canada, Special Olympics is, is very big and, and does an awful lot, but they're not the member of the Paralympic Committee. So it's a matter of getting ID athletics going uh, and getting the, um, the various organizations to understand their responsibility. Swimming and track, not a problem, they're part of swimming and track, uh, sorry, uh, swimming and track. A track in particular took on wheelchair and all the rest of it, but ID uh, is just uh, just being recognized now, and they're working with Special Olympics, and it's a wonderful organization. Uh, we're involved with them as well. Um, but you you ask, how do we get it better? We do stuff like this. We induct athletes that are para athletes into a Hall of Fame and say to the public, look, this is legitimate, you know. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's my speech for today. <laughs> well, congratulations and thanks Thank for your time. You. You're very welcome. Thank you. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?